I am excited this morning to be able to share the word with you. Um, we're going to pick up at where Todd left off there in 1 Corinthians 12. And I just want to remind you as we get started of a few of the things that Todd said last week. So if you weren't here, this will help set the place for you, but also because we're going to be building on some of the things that he talked about last week. And the, the first thing is that part of the problem in the Corinthian church is they were concerned with a spiritual hierarchy. They wanted to know the question they asked at the beginning of chapter 12. Um, so you can begin turning your Bibles there, 1 Corinthians 12. If you need a Bible, put your hand up and hope, I don't, hopefully there'll be someone back there to grab them. Um, and you can keep them uh, if you want to. So 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, the, the Corinthians ask about who are the spiritual ones. It says now concerning spiritual gifts, but it really just says spirituals. And I think what they were asking mainly about is what are the spiritual things that happen and what are the, who are the spiritual people as a result? And because for the Corinthians, they're wanting to know, okay, so the guys who do healing, are they better than the ones who do prophecy and are they better than the ones that, have, that do this? Like, because I want to align myself with the spiritual ones and get in line with them. And Paul speaks into that and basically says, look, there is no spiritual hierarchy there. They are all given by the same spirit. And the Corinthians in that, what they were trying to do was to make a name for themselves, which is a kind of a recurring problem of humanity as we try to make a name for ourselves rather than making a name for God, which is what he's called us to do. And so Paul's going to speak directly into that and say, look, there is no hierarchy. There is no pecking order. We all have one Lord. And then he turns the corner and starts talking about these manifestations of the Spirit and what they're supposed to accomplish. And the main point that we saw there is the main thing they're supposed to accomplish is that Jesus should be put on display as Lord, right? And that in that, the way that that happens in the, the clearest sense is when love is manifested in the body. And, and we talked about how what Paul's talking about here is building towards chapter 13, the love chapter, and, and how all of that is going to manifest itself self out. And the key analogy, which I thought was just such a beautiful analogy that we'll build on this week, was that analogy of an orchestra, right? And that in that orchestra, the Holy Spirit is the one that's hovering over us as the musicians, empowering us to play the instruments that we each uniquely have been asked to play. Jesus is the one who is the conductor who's telling each one of us when, when we're supposed to play, how loud we're supposed to play, when we're supposed to stop, right? Jesus as the conductor God the Father is the one that's composed the song, and what is the song? The song is, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. That's what, that's what the song is that we are called to sing. And that that song is designed to not only be a pleasing sound that rises up to God, which it is, it's not only to be a song that encourages the musicians, right? Because as you're playing together, there's a joy in us playing the song together. But even beyond that, it is to be a song that is a display to those around us to be a proclamation that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King in all that we do. Now we're going to pick up in verse 4, if you'd read with me, we're going to look at verses 4 through 11, picking up there. Paul says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit 
who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. God, take your word and by your spirit, would you empower it for me to be able to speak, for us to be able to hear, and for our lives to be changed. God, that, that's our heart's desire. Would you be the one who is at work here this morning? Take it and use it for your glory, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's come back to that idea of an orchestra for a second. And I want to think about some of the ways that an orchestra could go wrong. And the first way I thought of is if people try to play the wrong instrument. So if, if the violinist one day says, you know what, I'm going to go over and grab the French horn. And if the, the guy who was supposed to play the French horn goes, oh, that's a great idea, I'll go grab the violin. What's that orchestra going to sound like that day? It's going to be awful, right? A cacophony, exactly. It's such a beautiful word. Um, just because it sounds like what it is, a cacophony. Uh, right? It's a horrible sounding word. Um, that it's going to be a horrible sound. And, and that manifests itself in the church when we try to fill a role that isn't what we're called to. Remember earlier in 1 Corinthians, we talked about fulfilling our assignment? When we try to fulfill someone else's assignment, it doesn't put the, uh, the song on display. It doesn't, it doesn't display the, play the song the way that it's supposed to. Another way it goes wrong is we don't play when we're supposed to. Right, so if Jesus is up there and he's conducting and it comes time, you know, to, to hit the, the trumpets and he hits the trumpets and it's nothing there, right? It's just the song isn't going to sound right. And the reality is for some of you, you don't play your instruments when he's asking you to. You see, there isn't a spiritual gift of chair sitting on Sunday. That isn't a spiritual gift. You're not manifesting the Spirit in that. Now, you may be manifesting the Spirit in the way that you listen, in the way that you worship, and a, a number of other things, but, but he's calling you to play your instrument. And we're going to talk about just how amazing it is that he has uniquely gifted each one of us to do that. The, the opposite of that is sometimes people play when they're not supposed to. Right? So Jesus has got, you know, okay, quiet it down over here, and we're coming up over here, and all of a sudden these guys are all, it's like, not now. Like, what are you doing? Right? And, and so there's times when we, we need to know that it's time for us to step back and to listen to the Spirit, listen to the conductor who's telling us it's time for me to step back, it's time for them to step in, right? And to be sensitive to that, that's what we're supposed to do or the song's not going to sound the way it's supposed to. Another way it goes wrong is people try to play a different set of music, right? So if each person or maybe even each section of the orchestra brought their own set of music, the conductor's up there with one set and so he starts conducting and it's like, What's going on here? Again, a cacophony. It's not going to play the song. And we're going to talk about, I think, really the way that works out there in a second. The other thing is that people try to play solos, right? So the whole orchestra is playing, and one guy stands up, or it's like, uh, we're trying to play a song here. Like, what are you doing? Not time. Now, there's times, right? We said, okay, time for you to stand up, play a solo. There we go. Okay, now sit down. But sometimes in the church, I think that's what we're trying to do. A lot of us are trying to play solos. And Jesus is saying, mm, no. Uh, some of you, yeah, never mind. <laughs> Filter. <laughs> Woo! Doesn't happen often, but it happened there. Um, when we think about people playing to a different set of music, though, I want to I hang on this for a minute because I think the reason we get mixed up is because we forget what the mission is. You see, the, the set of music, the proclamation that Jesus is Lord, that set of music we're supposed to be playing to is really the mission. Right, that, that's what the, the set of music, and God has composed a song for us all to be playing, and the reality is that often we take that and we insert our own little pieces. I'm going to put in my own little chorus here. I'm gonna, I got this little thing I want to do in here, or we just throw it out and we kind of have our own, and some of the other sheets of music we like to play too is one is I think that the sheet of music is that it's all about me and me being happy, 
And if we try to play to that sheet of music, the song Jesus is Lord isn't going to be heard, right? And so if we're inserting that, and it may not even be that it's the whole sheet of music. You play a little bit of Jesus is Lord, but a little bit of it's all about me, and it just isn't the song that's designed to be heard. Or even sometimes, I think, in a, in a spiritual sense, we, we think the mission is to see people get saved. But in an analogous way, that would be like an orchestra that just wants to get more musicians. Let's just keep adding people. Who cares if they can play or not? Let's just keep adding tons of people. Is that going to play a good song? No, it's beyond that. It's more than just seeing people get saved. Is it, is it seeing people learn how to live their life for Christ, teaching them to play their instrument? No, it's not just about teaching them to play their instrument. It's even beyond that, right? Because if you have a bunch of people, they all play an instrument, but they're still not playing the song together, right? At the end of the day, what the mission is, is to see Jesus Christ proclaimed as king of all creation like he is. That, that's the mission that he's got all of us on. It's not something that comes short of that. And that proclamation of who Jesus is comes through both our words and our deeds. And, and we're going to see that as we go on. So I'm going to read for you, here's my statement of what I believe the main point Paul is making in this text. And it's, it's a little bit long, a little bit complicated. I'll read it for you again at the end. And we're going to unpack it as we go. Paul is saying here that our one Trinitarian God... Right, you see in verses 4 through 6, he's got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our one Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is empowering every single one of us at Cornerstone to action. Every single one of us to action in a vast variety of ways for our collective good so that we will be the display of his lordship and kingship in each of the places where he calls us, our home, our work, our recreation, etc., that's what this is all about, and we'll unpack each of those pieces as we go. So we get to verse 4, and we've got a problem, because he says there are varieties of gifts, and I'm going to camp on this word for a minute here, because the problem with our English word gift is it's become synonymous with ability. If I say someone's gifted, what I'm saying is that they have a great ability in a certain area. And so if you read that, if you read ability into this text here, you're not going to understand what Paul's talking about. Now you go back what was the reason we called abilities gifts is because there was a point where we understood that even abilities that we had are God-given, right? So the gift was the or a good origin, but we've lost kind of that meaning of it actually being something that's external and comes and is given to us. So we've got a problem there a little bit if we think of it as abilities, and we need to, to move beyond that. And part of how you see that is he's got four, five, and six are parallel. You guys see that, right? It's pretty clear. Varieties of this, varieties of this, but the same this, but the same this, right? And so you've got the Trinity there, because it's the same Spirit, the same Lord, which is Jesus, the same God, which is the Father. And the parallelism is gifts, service, and activities, right? Service and activities are things that are done. So in that parallel, you have to understand that whatever is being translated as gifts here in verse 4 is something that is an active reality. It's not just an inherent ability, and so a way I like to think of it is that if someone claims to be a singer and they never sing, are they really a singer? If someone claims to be a writer and they never write, are they really a writer? They're not, right? That what Paul's talking about here is that singers sing, writers write, that it manifests, it's a manifestation of the Spirit. And, and what is it that it's the manifestation? Well, the, we're going to get a little bit technical for a second, so forgive me, I don't want to lose you, but the word for gifts there in the Greek is the word charismata, which comes from the root charis, which is the word that we translate everywhere else, grace. 
right? So in the English, you're going to see no connection between the word grace and the word gifts here, but there is. At its root, Paul is saying, okay, you ask in verse 1 about the spiritual things, different word, and he's going to say, okay, you're asking about that, but here, let me take you where you really should be going, which is to thinking about these grace gifts, if you will. And that what he's saying, that when we understand that what grace is, and, and I don't have time to completely unpack that, but grace is that one-way love of God that was extended towards us. And that one-way thing is, is crucial, right? That it was God on his own, we being enemies, that he loved us, and that he reached out. It's that one-way loving of God. And that when we say loving, love, as it's spoken of here, isn't a feeling, it's an action, right? We'll see that developed into chapter 13. And so it's that one-way loving acts of God. And so when we come here, what I think the best way to understand that is there are varieties of one-way acts of love that God manifests through us. That that's what he's talking about. Is that he's giving us ways in which we now manifest the grace of God, one-way loving towards others. And he's going to unpack what that looks like. You see, for the Corinthians, it was about giving me something, that these things that I have are about me, and he's saying, no, 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 it's not about you. It's about God working through you to others. It's, it's an outward focus, active reality that he's calling us to here. And they ask about the spirituals. He says, no, it's not about the spirituals. It's about these one-way loving grace gifts, and it's about service, verse 5. Now, another point here for you, when we see the word service, the word servant, the word ministry, and the word deacon, they're all the same word. They're all the same root. They're all tied together. Because sometimes we think of ministry as like, you know, the things the pastors do, and then service, maybe we can do that. But the reality is it's, it's all the same thing. We're all called towards ministry to acts of service. And all of these are important. And so what we see is that we will know that Jesus is Lord. Let me put together verses 4, 5, and 6 for you that the, the Trinitarian God will manifest himself and therefore we will know and the world will know that Jesus is Lord when grace is displayed like Jesus, right? The first one. When service is rendered like Jesus. Like if you spend time on each one of these, you just think of how Jesus was gracious, of how Jesus served, right? The, the one who would wash the feet of the disciples even though he was God incarnate, right? That kind of service. When unity, I think the, the point of the last one with the Father is that it empowers them all in everyone, is that unity will be displayed like Jesus. It's a main point of this, right? The same spirit, the same spirit, one God, one spirit. Unity will be displayed. And see, the thing is, for the Corinthians, they were asking, oh, is it spiritual when someone does healing or does prophecy? And Paul says, look, you're measuring it completely wrong. You want to know what spirituality looks like? Spirituality looks like a display of grace, one way loving towards people. Spirituality looks like service, humble service, no matter what your position, humble service towards others, and it looks like unity being united together, and that's what spirituality looks like. And see, I think we often try to measure our spirituality in all sorts of ways. We, we measure our spirituality by um, how good our quiet times are each week, or, or how, you know, how many times we do this, and, and Paul says, look, that, that isn't the point. Those things may help you in this, your time in prayer, your time in the word, those are, those are all, but that isn't the end goal. The manifestation of the Spirit is when our lives manifest Jesus' lordship through grace and service and unity with one another. That's what he's saying here. That's what true spirituality looks like. 
Now, the key verses here, I believe, are verses 7 and 11. And here, look at this first part. He says in verse 7, to each is given. And you look at verse 11, he says, who apportions to each one individually. God gives a manifestation of the Spirit to every person who is a part of the body of Christ. So understand this. If you are a follower of Christ, God is manifesting his Spirit in you. There's no one who's left out. You don't have to go find it. You don't have to seek it. God is meant to each one according to each one individually, right? He makes that point very strongly. And here's the thing is that we think of, right, we're, we're often think of these gifts as abilities. What Paul is getting to here, and you're going to see it as it unfolds at the end of the chapter too, is that you are the gift. You see, it's not about him giving gifts to us. It's about him giving us to the church. Each of us is a gift to the church. That's what he's doing. That's what he's saying. That's what the Spirit is doing in us. And see, the thing is, we each have significance. We each have purpose. But it's not inherent. It's given to us. It's an empowerment. It's manifested through us. We each uniquely have significance that way. You know, sometimes, it's funny, we joke, right? We call people, oh, you're God's gift to humanity. You're God's gift to women. You're God's, you know, there's all kinds of things. God's gift. Here's the funny thing. We are. You actually are God's gift to the church. Right? There's actually truth in that statement, not, of course, the way that we're using it. But we each are uniquely God's gift to the church. And I don't mean just to the church in general. I mean to this church. You have been placed here by God for a purpose. And one of the ways I think this is most obvious is when people leave and when people come. When Jared left, we didn't just lose a singer, right? We lost Jared and all of who Jared was. When Billy came, we didn't just get, oh, good, we got a guy to, you know, play the guitar and sing now. No, we got Billy, right? And you know when people come in and out of your life, it's not that you just, um, and if it was just about abilities, Right? So when we think of all of this stuff as just having these abilities, no, it's the people that are the gift. When people go out of your life, you know, it's not, oh, you know, they don't have that ability. They're, oh, man, I sure miss them. They had some great hospitality, and, you know, I miss that now. No, you miss them, right? You see, we are the gifts that God is getting to, giving to the church. And he has uniquely empowered you to manifest the lordship of Christ in the situations that he's placed you. And even if you feel unequipped, understand he works in your weakness. Right? He says, my strength is glorified in your weakness. So you might be like, I don't see how I can do that, but you are. And the thing I get excited about is I think there is so much of the empowerment of the Spirit going on in our lives that we haven't even stopped to recognize that as we start to look at what God has empowered me to do in the places that he's put me, in the situations that he's placed me, I think God is going to begin to do some amazing things through Cornerstone. Things that we can't even imagine. I can't stand up here and tell you, oh, it's going to be like this, this, and this. We don't even know because you are all uniquely gifted, uniquely placed, and as you start to live that way, amazing things are going to start to happen. As you start thinking how God has me in my workplace, at my school, in my home, with my neighbors, on this soccer field, whatever it is, you start thinking, what is it that God is intending to manifest here? Now, as we begin to think that way, this whole idea of, you know, and I think a lot of people kind of say, you know, I'm trying to find where I fit. 
Throw it out. You fit where you are. You see, God has sovereignly placed you and empowered you to be where you are. You don't need to find where you fit. You don't need to find your gift. He is empowering you right where you are. And you are completely equipped, hear me, you are completely equipped by the Spirit of God to love every person who comes into your life each day. You are equipped to be able to do that, to display the love and the lordship of Christ in that way. Now, the the other thing that's very clear here in verse 7 and verse 11 is that it is the Spirit who sovereignly decides who gets what and when, right? That in verse 7, it's of the Spirit, and then in verse uh, 11, he's even more clear that who apportions to each one as he wills, okay? So the point is that our activity, our empowerment, our manifestation of the Spirit isn't like a one-time thing. And that's where so much of this idea of like spiritual gifts has gone off the rails. It's like spiritual gifts become like an Easter egg that I got to find. And once I find it, then I know what it is. And I just protect my little egg. And I try and figure out like how do I live? No. Today you are empowered one way. You will be empowered a different way tomorrow. You'll be empowered a different way after that. And we've seen that happen in our lives, right? Haven't you been in those situations where you're like, I don't know how I even said that. I, I don't know why I thought that. And right, the, other, the people on the other side might have been like, how did you know that? I don't know. Because the Spirit empowered you in that moment, in that day. And I look back over the course of my life, I'm empowered differently now than I was 20 years ago. And that's not just maturing or something like that. It's that the Spirit will empower you differently when he needs to for the situation that you're in and for the time that you're in. You see? So it's not about just finding what It's about living and walking by the Spirit as he empowers you each day and as we go. Now, we look down into verses 8 through 10, and that idea of the Spirit doing that is really what works out here. Now, Paul grabs nine different manifestations of the Spirit, and he makes it very clear that that's his point, right? Because as I emphasized as we went through, of the Spirit, by the same Spirit, all the way through. Now, here's the thing. Paul's point isn't about these nine things, right? If you're thinking, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to expound on each one of these nine things, it's not the point. Paul's just grabbing a list, and we see later at the end of the chapter, he's going to grab some of these, some other ones. Paul's point isn't to say, okay, here's the comprehensive list of gifts, and here's exactly. He's trying to draw on them and draw them out because they're thinking, and he grabs mostly showy gifts, right? Like you're like, ooh, wow, that's pretty amazing. But Paul walks through all of those, all these showy gifts, and basically says, they're all manifestations of the Spirit. And here's what I hear Paul doing. The Corinthians are going, Healing, wow. And Paul's going, healing, meh. Manifestation of the Spirit. I mean, not in, the, in, not in a negative way of like it's bad, but he's like, yeah, healing, the person over here who's gifted to serve, same thing. That's equally as much an empowerment of the Spirit, right? There isn't this hierarchy. He's like, meh, they're all manifestations of the Spirit. You guys think these are all showing great? They're just manifestations of the Spirit. That's what they are. And this was... And and this is, in particular, part of what was being manifested in the Corinthian church, not necessarily what's manifested everywhere. Because what he does is he empowers and equips each church for what it needs for where it is. So you look at Romans, in Romans 12, there's a list there for the Roman church. It's a different list. Like I said later, and and the reality is it's not like there's some comprehensive list of these spiritual gifts. It's that the Spirit empowers us in all kinds of ways. That's why when I I read kind of what Paul's main point is, that it's in a vast variety of ways. 
That's his point here is to go through, look, here's a whole list, and it's kind of funny how he does it, because the first few he emphasizes of the Spirit for the common good, right, or to the same Spirit, those things, but then you get down to verse 10, and he just kind of like rattles off a bunch more. It's like, and this, and this, and this, and this. Okay, let's get back to my point, verse 11, right? That my point isn't to be about each one of those. Here's really my point. And when we understand that the people are the gift, the fact that every church is going to manifest different sets of gifts makes sense, right? Because every church is made up of a different set of people. And so he will manifest himself uniquely in those people that have been gathered together. And like I said earlier, one of the other things he's saying here is there's one spirit who gives all these, right? I mean, you can't read this text and miss that. One spirit, the same spirit, right? Is bam, bam. It's like, okay, Paul, you hit me uh, two by four one more time. Got it. Same spirit. I, I got it now. Therefore, if the same spirit is the one who's working, then all of these manifestations of the spirit ought to produce unity. Because if it's one spirit, there's no way that it can be producing disunity. That's not the same spirit then. It's, he'd be working to draw us together. And the other thing is, that means that if the one spirit is the one manifesting all this, we should never view anything hierarchically. There is no pecking order. Right? The, the, sometimes I think we've just gotten messed up and we think certain manifestations of the spirit are better than others. Right? The, the manifestation of the spirit for me to be able to preach this morning isn't any more significant, isn't any more spiritual than the manifestation of the Spirit in your life to, that leads you to pray and empowers you to pray, that leads you to be able to share the gospel, that, that leads you to be able to administrate, to exhort, to serve, to give. There's all kinds of things the Spirit's doing, and they are all equal manifestations of the Spirit. We have to get away from this idea that certain manifestations are more spiritual, and I just wish I could be like that. You know, one of the ways this was just kind of drawn home for me is this thing that it's like we all think that the pinnacle of spirituality is to be in full-time vocational paid ministry. There was a guy who, who was leading a group of businessmen, and he, and he asked him, he was a pastor, and he was leading this group of businessmen, um, guys that were understood the gospel, walking in faith, and he said, if you were to completely give your lives over to the Spirit of God, what would your lives look like? And every single one of them said, I would go to seminary and become a pastor something's wrong when we think that's what we're all supposed to do because we're not all called to that. And in fact, the pastors and teachers aren't the ones that are called to do ministry. Ephesians 4 says very clearly, those that have been set apart in leadership are called to equip everyone, all of you, for living lives of ministry, equipping you for lives of service, right? Ministry and service. That's our role in that. Right? That's why I exist in what I do at the school, why I do the things I it's It's to equip you for the work in ministry. That's what God has called all of us to do. It's why we do all the things, why, why we have grow classes, all the, the various things, is to lead you, to equip you to be able to do the work of ministry because God's the one who has called you to be able to do that. Now, here, here's the amazing thing as I look at this. Every church gets exactly what it needs. The Spirit sovereignly apportions to each church exactly what it needs. That means, there's two sides of this. That means that Cornerstone has exactly what we need and that all of you are needed for Cornerstone because he has empowered and is manifesting himself in every one of you and you are here for that purpose. And you can actually look from the flip side and you can say, so that means we can actually look at the people who are around us and understand what God might be leading us into. 
right? Because if there's no one in our church that's involved in a certain vocation, let's say, for us to say, oh, let's try and really reach out into that world doesn't make any sense. But then if we look around and we're like, wow, that's amazing. There, there's a whole bunch of firemen at Cornerstone, right? Maybe God's telling us we should be thinking about how to reach into that world because he's the one that apportions and gifts and places the people that are supposed to be here, right? And so that, that's the way that that works. That if, if Paul was to go through this same list here for Cornerstone, it would be a different list. And it's really the reality that every church is its own orchestra, but they're all playing the same song. If we expand beyond orchestra, maybe some churches are just like little bands, right? You've got a rock band, you've got a jazz band, you've got the full, you know, symphony going on over here, but they're all playing the same song, but God has designed them differently. You see how it's working? It's beautiful in what he does. And I think part of the problem is sometimes we see ourselves as trying to fit into the organization that is Cornerstone, trying to find our role or our position, but that isn't the point. Paul's saying you need to fit into the organism that is cornerstone, right? That, that it is this, this reality that the organism stretches to the number of people that are involved, to the mem- members that are in different places. I, I think of it like an amoeba. Um, that on Sunday, it's like the, the amoeba kind of draws in and we all draw in together. But then through the course of the week, that organism spreads all out, right? Spreads into different workplaces and spreads out and then we gather again. But cornerstone isn't us gathered here only, We are all part of the organism and what God is doing as we spread out and as we come back together. You see, you need to work out how the grace of God that is empowering you works out in your life in the places that God has called you. And that's where the pastors, teachers, shepherds come alongside to help equip you to do that. Right? If you're like, I don't even know how to work that out, talk with someone. That's what we're supposed to be doing with you is helping you figure that out, not trying to turn you into us. Right? It's that idea I brought up before, of fulfilling your assignment. You've each been placed and called into a specific place. You've been given an assignment for God. Let's fulfill our assignments. Like, this is, this is beautiful. The thing is, there aren't enough positions or tasks in the organization for everybody. That's not what it's about, right? It's not about, well, I've got to find, do I serve in children's ministry? Well, maybe you're supposed to, right? Those, it's not like they're bad things. But he has called all of us through the course of the week, 24-7, this is what we're supposed to be doing, that as you're on soccer field, you're supposed to love and display the lordship of Christ, that to your neighbors, you're to love and display the lordship of Christ. To your coworkers, you're to love and display the, the lordship of Christ, right? And I can keep going, right? In all the places that he calls us, that's what he's wanting to do. And if I could just make a little side note there for you, how much time do you spend equipping yourself for the work of ministry as opposed to just the work that you do. I'm fascinated how we as Christians devote years of our lives to be trained and equipped to do the job, but we spend very little time, we won't even take a six-week grow class to be equipped to begin to live lives of ministry. Right? The reason I'm so passionate about what I do at the school and why I believe a biblical education is crucial for people that aren't just going to be pastors and missionaries, but are people that are going to be business people and teachers and on and on is because they're called to lives of ministry just like you are. Right? It's why right, we and, of course, the we all together are trying to give as many opportunities as we can for you to be equipped to live those lives of ministry. And I just ask you, how many, you know, calculate how many hours have you devoted towards your vocation for your occupation, for your job, and training for it, and then ask yourself, how many hours have I, you know, you're probably going to have years over here and maybe days over here, 
how does that make sense if this is actually our main deal? It doesn't make sense to me. And just take that for what you need. As we come to a conclusion here, I want to read again, and hopefully you're going to understand these pieces of it, that main point, that our one Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is empowering every single one of us at Cornerstone to action in a vast variety of ways for our collective good so we will be a display of his lordship and kingship in each of the places where he calls us, our home, our work, our recreation, etc. Here's what I want to leave you with. You're in the orchestra. If you're a follower of Christ, you are a musician. You're in the orchestra. This orchestra was planned from before the creation of the world. God's been putting it together. He's been assembling it. He's been guiding your life, bringing you to the point where you are now a part of this orchestra. You are a member of the orchestra. You're part of it. The second thing is this. The orchestra that we have here at Cornerstone is exactly the orchestra that we need. And each one of you is an essential part of that orchestra. You may be sitting there going, I don't know how. You are an essential part of this orchestra being able to play the song we've been designed to sing in the places that he's put us. The third thing is this, that everywhere you go, you're still a part of the orchestra. Even though you might be the only one there, you're still a part of the orchestra. But then, number four, you need the rest of the orchestra, you need the rest of the musicians to play the song properly. That we both play the song while we're out there, but we need each other in order to play the song properly. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your servant Paul, for the way that by your spirit you led him to write your word in order to speak to us. God, I thank you, and I truly believe that every single person in this room, every single person that that is a member of the body of Christ, that is a follower of you, is equipped, empowered to manifest your spirit everywhere we've been sent. May you lead us. May may in this week, Lord, you just begin to, to open our eyes for us to see the things that you've done that we didn't even notice, to to see the ways that you're working that we didn't even see. May may you help us as as pastors and shepherds to to help equip the saints for the work of ministry. Lord, there's just so much here that as I think about it, we can't do it on our own. We're desperate for you, desperate for your spirit to work. And, And so God, we beg you to be the one who works in us through the course of this week. May May you take what what may be a little bit of an out-of-tune song coming from Cornerstone and begin to tune it, begin to draw the musicians together, add more musicians, and, and just allow us to play a beautiful song to those around us. May it be a sweet sound in your ear, Lord. Thank you so much for loving us, for reconciling us to you. Thank you so much for our Lord and our King, Jesus. We want to worship him as King, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.